How it's going? A series on expectations. Today I want to talk about freedom. I want to talk about no longer being in chains. I want to talk about no longer being enslaved. I want to talk about expectations. I'll be transparent with you guys for a second. When I first got here, my expectation was to be here for about two years, two years total. Um, I came here to leave here. I came here to use Third Street to get to a place that I believe Third Street could help me get to. Um, I believe that they were going to use me, and I believe that I was going to use them. That was the step-by-step -step process of my expectations of Third Street, right? And you're right, I ain't going nowhere. Um, one Sunday, I, I was getting prepared for a, a sermon, and I was sitting right there with Batty is sitting, and I was greeting people as they were as they were walking by, and I was smiling, and I was, you know, giving everybody the high five and everything like that, and Rachel came up to me, and she put her hand on my shoulder, and she started to talk. Now, I cannot tell you exactly what Rachel actually said, but I can tell you what I received spiritually from what she said, and basically what she said was, everyone can see your smile, but God can see your tears. Yeah, you're smiling and you're acting like everything's great and you're about to preach and yeah, that's great, but you're still in chains. And until you deal with it, you'll never see the reality of where you actually are. So just imagine for me for a second. Imagine, close your eyes with me just for a second. Close your eyes, I promise while your eyes are closed, ain't nobody gonna do nothing weird to you. Just imagine you thinking that you are walking and you're smiling and you're jump roping just having the time of your life and then when you open your eyes in reality you do have a jump rope in your hand but you're in chains and you're not smiling you're crying i think that that's a posture of a lot of believers today i believe that we have the keys to get us out of the chains. And because we have the keys, it makes us believe that we're good. The key is Christ. I believe a lot of people in here have the key. And for me, the, the jump rope was, it was ministry. The jump rope was, it was my family. The jump rope was my financial ability, my finances. My jump rope was everything that I thought was actually making me happy. But in reality, what Rachel seen in the spirit and she shared with me was, you do have the jump rope, but you're in chains. You, you're so enslaved that you can't even enjoy the things that your hands possess. Galatians 6 says, it says, you will harvest what you plant. If you live to satisfy your sinful self, the reward you get from that, it will look like what you put in. But if you live to please the Spirit, your harvest from the Spirit will be eternal life. It says, it says we must not grow weary in good doing. We will receive our harvest in due time if we faint not. Sometimes I believe we don't get the things we expect out of life because we have faith with no works. The fruit I expected 
the transformation I expected, the things that I expected God to do, God was waiting for me to do. Like I said, I, I expected to come to Third Street. I expected to be here for two years. I expected for it to look a certain type of way. Like my man said, I ain't going nowhere. My wife asked me once, she said, why do you think people are saved? What she was saying was free. Why is it that people are free, but yet they still live like slaves? They still live in sin. They still live the way that they lived before freedom. And, and I always like heard what she said, but then my answer just wasn't, it wasn't, it didn't suffice. Because then again, she would ask me again like a year later, two years later. And literally last night, the day, the day before, God gave me the answer. And the answer is the analogy that I gave. It's because they have the key, but they're still in chains. Today, we are going to talk about that exactly. Let's go to step one. So this is Caleb. I think you can see a little bit better over here. Step one is my cup runneth over. Now there's a mess. Let's go back to the picture. Now, what Caleb is doing right here is he's standing on top of the table with a gallon of milk and a cup. I promise you, this is a stage picture because this is the only time that I can actually catch him doing this. But this is not the only time that he's done it. And there's three things that stand out to me about Caleb in this particular picture. One is the most important, which is he's not okay with what he's already had. My wife is an amazing mother, and I mean amazing. This is after she's already fed and, and given this dude something to drink, but he still wants more. First problem, God has already given you everything you need, but for some odd reason, you still want more. Second problem, this is dangerous. And after he does this dangerous act, and we catch him, Caleb is not confessing to anything. If I had this picture and I showed Caleb and I said, Caleb, look, we caught you. He would say, well, Lauren, well, what happened was Lauren did and then Kendall did and then Jeremy and Jordan. He's not saying Caleb. Second problem. The third problem is all he had to do was ask for help. So this is the before. Let's skip to the after. Now it's a mess. My cup runneth over. Now it's a mess. I'm going to go somewhere with you real quick. It's in Psalm chapter 23. It says, it's a song of David. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I will always have everything I need. It says, he gives me green pastures to lie in. He leads me by calm pools of water. He restores my strength. He leads me on right paths to show that he is good. Even if I walk through a valley, 
As dark as the grave, I will not be afraid of any danger because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepared a meal for me in front of my enemies. You welcome me as an honored guest. My cup is filled. It's full and it spills over. Now, just as God is great and I know that he does these great things and we receive these great benefits, I also believe that we take part of our cup filling with our own things. And in the same fashion that God fills up our cup and it spills over and we lavish in that spill, there's a mess that we make ourselves. When we get too greedy. Now, when I, when I, when I see Caleb and I see him pouring, I see the grin that he has as soon as the gallon of milk starts to enter the cup. But then there's this stage between when it starts pouring and when the cup falls over that Caleb recognizes, I'm not going to stop pouring. I'm going to continue this pouring process. Even though I'm not supposed to be doing this, even though this is something that I know that if I get caught, I'm going to get in trouble for. But once the milk starts to enter the cup, then you start to gather in your thought process, how much milk can I get? When, when do I actually stop pouring? Next thing you know, you, you pour too much. And now there's a mess. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 3, it says, it says something like, God, God says something like, I've given you enough to suffice. I've given you enough for you to be okay with the partying, the drinking, the wild living, the club life, the lust, the chase after money. I've given you enough time to want all of those things. What God is saying is if it was like a cup, I've given you enough time in your life for those things to be the things that you want. And then there's going to become a time when you just know better. And when you're continuing to pour into this cup, eventually there's going to become a mess. Now that there's a mess, some questions will begin to come. How did I get to this mess? I thought this mess was going to make me happy. Me and, me and Corey were just talking about this upstairs. Being young and thinking that, oh, if I do this, this is, this is what's going to bring me joy. And then the next thing you know, there's a mess. See, the thing about a mess is, I think we, all, we actually think about the mess before there's actually a mess, but we don't think the mess is going to be as big as the mess actually ends up being. So you thought that when the cup fell over that it would just kind of like be on the table, but the next thing you know, it's kind of like spilled over onto your lap and now it's all on your shirt and you got to change clothes. Now it's all on the chair and it's spilled over onto the floor and now there's a mess everywhere and you're thinking to yourself like, I thought that this mess was just starting in my job. Like, how did this mess turn over into a mess that's now affecting my household, now it's affecting the way that I parent, now it's affecting the way that I act at my church? How is this mess starting to spread into all of these different areas into my life? What are we going to do when the cup falls? Who, do we, who are we going to go to? What is our expectation? What do we think it's going to look like when the cup falls? Let's go to step two. Step two is near and dear to my heart. It's who's going to clean up the mess? This is a mess that obviously we started. In my household, 
for a large portion of uh, what I would call our household, Candace cleans up the mess. It became an expectation that if there's a mess, my wife will get it. And because of that, there's, there's like a posture that was created in our household when it comes to messes. Now, in the last two or three years, my kids have been getting older. I'm becoming more mature. Yes, I'm in, the, uh, I'm in the number of people who expect it for my wife to clean up the mess. We've started to, started to change, but because it, it happened so late, there's still something wrong with the mess. So when you look at the first picture, I was walking downstairs and I seen a mess, and this one is not staged. This literally happened this week. I seen a mess at the bottom of the stairs, so I took a picture of it. And I said to myself, everyone in this house, except my wife, is going to walk over this mess like it's not there. They're literally going to see the mess, they're going to walk 15 steps towards the mess, and then when they get to the mess, they're going to step over the mess like the mess is not there at all. So I took the picture, and then I walked to the bottom of my man cave, and I called my son. And I said, I won't say his name, because you won't be able to tell which one it is. So you'll, you'll just have to gather your thoughts on which twin you think it is. Let's go to the next one. So I called his name, and I said, hey, come here. And this is what happened. Hey, play that back again. I wish I could do it in slow-mo. He looks down at it, and then he steps over it. <laughs> Let me go somewhere real quick. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It says, we have freedom now because Christ made us free. It says, so stand strong in that freedom and don't go back into slavery again. It says, we are now free because Christ did something. So now Christ is asking for us to do something so that we do not go back into slavery. What, what it's saying is stand strong. Standing strong is an action. It's something that you actually have to do. It doesn't tell us to lay strong. It doesn't tell us to sit strong. It tells us that we have to actually stand strong. My question for you in step two about who is going to clean up the mess is how many times have you allowed for a mess to happen in front of you without standing up? How many times has this been your workplace and you just walked over the mess? How many times has this been in your household and you just walked over the mess? It's a mess that you see but you just step over it rather than actually addressing it. In verse 7, it says, you were doing so well, who caused you to stop following the truth? It certainly wasn't the one who chose you. It certainly wasn't the one who gave you the truth in the first place. What I feel like God was giving me when I was going through this part right here is we are putting ourselves back into slavery. We are putting ourselves back into chains and situations that we're supposed to be addressing. We are allowing for situations that we are supposed to be changing in our city, in our, in our households, in our, in, in our neighborhood, in our schools, in our workplace. We're supposed to be changing them and we're silent. And because we're silent, this is what it looks like. It looks like a mess that's standing right in front of us and we're stepping over it. God says, and the word says in verse 7, it says, who caused you 
to stop. Have you ever been in a situation where you said, man, I, I wish I would have said something? My question is, who, who caused you to not say something? Who caused you to not stand up for injustice? Who caused you to not stand up for the little person? Who caused you to not tell someone that that's not something that you feel is appropriate to say in front of you? I come from the type of church where they tell you it's either one thing or the other. Either God is influencing you or he isn't. And if God isn't influencing you, then you tell me who is. If you're in a situation to where Jesus would say this and you don't say it, then who's influencing you to say nothing? I think sometimes we think that it's just a small thing to just step over this mess. But what happens in my household, and my wife can attest to this, is this mess is going to pile up. And eventually my other children are going to think that this is just the place that we put in mess now. Some of you are in situations to where there's so much mess around you because you've allowed for a small mess to go. And now other people around you is like, okay, this is just where I dump my stuff. So now you're in a situation where you don't want to go to work and you don't want to be around the people that you're around because you've allowed other people to think that this is just where we lay our mess. We just come and we talk or any type of way that we want to talk and we say any type of thing that we want to say around this person because they're going to be silent. We're stepping over mess. First John 1 John 1.9 says if we confess our sins, it's not talking about your specific sin. It's talking about sin. Period. If you confess that something is wrong, then God will clean it up and he will make it a righteous situation. The reason why our city looks the way that it looks, the reason why the church looks the way that it looks, the reason why some of our schools look the way that it looks is because too many people have been stepping over mess, allowing for mess to get to a place to where now even kids feel like this is where I put my mess. Yes, I'll come to your classroom and talk any type of way that I want because ain't nobody going to say nothing. Ain't nobody going to do nothing. Well, whose responsibility is it? The atheist? To step up and talk about morality? So the question becomes, if we're not going to say anything, how will we be able to walk out the glory of God? The Bible says that we will be able to judge angels. Angels. We will be able to judge the world. He will put us in a position to where we will be able to tell angels if they got the job done correctly or not. But we can't tell Patty what she did right or wrong at work. We can't tell Mike that we don't appreciate him talking like that in front of us. The transformation does not start with God. The ending picture does not start with Jesus. It starts with you. He's already done the work. He's not coming back to the cross again. He's already did what he had to do to give us the keys to be able to walk. Now it's on us to do. But I feel like we're fearful. And what are we scared of? Step three. Step three is I won't be in chains. My man Jordan joined my football team about three or four weeks ago. For anybody that's ever played football, football is always amazing before you get your pads. Like, if you're fast, if you can catch, if you can 
hit somebody with one of those type of things right there, football is always amazing because it's built for you to show forth your talent. And then, strong people get helmets and shoulder pads and they make you remember that this ain't two-hand tap. So my man Joran had, had showed up in practice and uh, because he was a little bit late because he was on another team previously, his first couple of days he didn't have to hit nobody. He didn't have to tackle nobody, but he was able to just be an athlete. So when he was be able to be an athlete, he, he, was, he was ready. Coach Kevin tell you, he was, he was at free safety, looking every way, ready to go. Then a couple of days got by and he was in full pads. Once it came time for full pads, I remember specifically one time someone ran towards him. And like they were running towards him like this. And it was like it turned into the four by one track relay. And he turned like this and they was chasing each other. And after that practice was over with, Joran went over to one of our coaches, Dio, and he was like, hey, man, I ain't built for this. This is different. And I don't like it. But this is the key. Joran said, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to finish the season off. He was letting him know, like, this is the last season, but I'm going to finish this season off. Because I said I was going to do it, and I'm going to be a man of my word. This is a seventh grader who's saying, because I started something, I'm going to finish it. Even though I'm scared, I'm not going to allow my fear to make me not do what I said I was going to do. I'm going to say that again for all the Christians in here. Even though I'm scared of what the result might be, I'm going to do what I said I was going to do when I signed up for this. Let's go to the next picture. This is our first game. Number 45 is Joran. This is the first play that he got in. The first play was a tackle. Did anybody see him run away? I can guarantee you, when I said Joran, he turned around like he was on the sideline. We out there. And I said Joran, and he turned around like I was talking to another Joran on our team. But when he got onto the field, the first play he got a tackle. Some of us have been missing tackles because of our fear. What haven't you been tackling because you're scared? You can say anything. The Bible says, what's better for a person to say, I can't do it and then do it? Or for a person to say, oh, I'm good, I can do it, and then they don't do nothing. The church is full of people who stand up every week and say, oh, I love the Lord. Oh, he is my rock. And then you don't do nothing. I would rather the person from the streets come in and say, I don't really know the Lord all like that, and I'm scared of what he's going to do in my life, but show me where to go stand. All we told Jordan was, go stand right there and follow that person. He's not the most skilled person, but everybody that we told to do that who was skilled missed the tackle. His first time of just being out there, scared as heck, he got the tackle and he was ready to go in for another play. Which person in here is going to stand up and say, Corey, just tell me where to stand. I don't got to run my own ministry. 
I don't got to be, just tell me where to stand. Tell me where you want me to be and what time to be here, and I'll be here, and I'll do it. And then the transformation will start to look like our city not being in chains and being free because we're doing the things that God told us to do. Can I get the, the people, the prayer, the, the prayer warriors up here? What the enemy is trying to do is he's trying to tell you that you're not big enough to tackle. You're not strong enough to tackle. You don't know enough in the word to tackle. You're not the right color to be on the field. You're not from the right place to the city to be on the field. You haven't been here long enough to be on the field. You don't have on the right equipment to be on the field. As long as you have on the equipment that God has given you, you have on exactly what you have and exactly what you need. The Bible says, if you confess in your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you shall be saved. Why is this? It's because he is in us and we are in him. So if God raised him from the grave, if we believe it in our heart, then he will raise us from whatever grave that we're in. When Jesus told Lazarus to come out, he didn't go in and get him. He just removed the stone that was in his way. And then he gave him the opportunity and he said, come forth. If you come forth, Lazarus, I'll give you the ability to take your own grave clothes off. The biggest issue that Caleb had in the beginning is that he didn't ask for help. We're all going to get to a place to where we want something that we ain't supposed to have. We're all going to get to a place to where we're standing in a dangerous place because of that thing. We're all going to get to that place. But the biggest thing is to not be there without help. He could have asked any of his brothers, any of his sisters, any of his parents to help him. And then he would have been in a better place because of it. What we're asking today is that you walk forward for help. We have ministers here that are ready to take away the stone that has kept you in the grave. And all you have to do is come forth. Christ has taken away the shame. Just come forth. He's wiped away the tears. Just come forth. Come forth out of the chains, come forth out of the shame, come forth, come forth out of the misery, come forth, come forth out of the depression, come forth, stop feeling like you're not enough, stop feeling like you can't. I'm positive that Jordan, you can ask Jordan right now what position he plays and he wouldn't know. Because we've put him in so many different places on the football field. And he's played so many different positions that at this point, he's just ready to get in the game. You don't have to be a title. You don't have to come forth with your own ministry. Just come forth. Just be ready to go on the field. But I guarantee you, if you walk on the field, the people who are standing up here right now will put you in position for a tackle. Well, what are we tackling, KT? We're tackling a city that is ready, ready to kill themselves at any point in time of the day. Kids that are committing suicide. Kids that are killing kids. Kids that are fighting students. Kids that are fighting teachers. Students who are jumping out in front of traffic trying to kill themselves. We're fighting against people who do not know where they're going to sleep tonight. 
We're tackling a city that is dealing with poverty, a city that is dealing with homelessness, a city that is dealing with evictions. We need people on the field ready. There's a funny thing about the story of Lazarus that I never noticed until this past week. And that was the fact that they wanted to kill Lazarus because of what Jesus did for him. What God is going to do for you will bring forth so much salvation that people are going to hate you for it. We never got to the scripture for the day, which is Galatians 5, 22 and 23, and it says, but the fruit that the spirit produces in a person's life is joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit that the Spirit produces. Sometimes we call it the fruits of the Spirit. These are fruits These are fruits, and, and if I tried to grab it all, and I tried to walk away with just some fruits, I'm going to walk away with love, joy, and peace, but my faithfulness is going to be messed up. God does not offer fruits that you get to pick and choose from, that you'll walk away and be incomplete. That you can try to grab and walk away with some and still walk away a little bit broken, still a little bit impatient, still a little bit angry. But the Bible says it is the fruit of the spirit, meaning that you grab one fruit and you walk away with love. You walk away with joy. You walk away with peace. You walk away with self-control. You walk away with gentleness. You walk away complete. You do not walk away. Don't leave this church dropping fruit on your way out because you wanted to stay in your seat because you were scared what the person next to you was going to say and then when you come out into the field you're still fearful because you don't have everything that you want you can't be in a position that you want to serve but you still don't have all what you'll be is you'll be the pastor that is walking around with a jump rope still in chains you don't want to be the person that Rachel got a tap on her shoulder right before <laughs> Am I right, Rev? When Rachel tap you on the shoulder, that means it's time to cry. <laughs> I'm going to let the choir do their thing. I'm going I'm I'm to walk away, and I, I'm going to let Rev touch your heart.
get you in a posture that is well.